everybody welcome back to where are we exploring the Lord of the Rings that's where we are I have this problem a lot you know as I get older and older I'm gonna have a harder and harder time remembering which broadcast I'm doing on any given day by the time we get to the return of the king I'll be like what book were we talking about again anyway Hey, everybody, this is session number 187, in fact, of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. And this should be, I, we, I am increasingly confident that we are going to hit my goal of being done with the Council of Elrond by Mythmoot, because we have exactly four slides left in the entire chapter. Um, uh, and uh, we have... Uh, Four weeks to go, so we're we're good. We're 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 good, and it is almost lunchtime. Uh, Drow snake, indeed. Uh, this has been uh, the longest wait for lunch uh, that most anybody uh, most anybody has had uh, ever. Um, quick announcement uh, before I begin, I just want to let you guys know about um, uh, just to remind you because I think I told you guys last week um, about what's coming up. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, we're beginning a new book in our discussions in the Mythgard Academy. Uh, so we've been doing Dante's Inferno for uh, uh, several months now, um, but we are going to begin a discussion of The Moon is a Harsh Mistress uh, by Robert Heinlein, uh, Golden Age science fiction stuff. Um, uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to talking about The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Uh, and so that starts tomorrow night. Uh, that's Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Um, and you are welcome to join us on Twitch. Or you can go, if you go to our webpage, which was just posted there, uh, you can... Um, uh, you can get the uh, the link for the GoToWebinar session that we also use for the classroom interface there. So uh, encourage folks to join me. And just another reminder, because I think I mentioned this last week, that after we do The Moon is a Harsh Mistress, we're going to be doing that until early September. And then in early September, The Nature of Middle-Earth is released. Um, and uh, I'm really excited for The Nature of Middle-Earth. I'm very curious about The Nature of Middle-Earth because it's going to be... Uh, as I've been told, the first Tolkien book we've gotten in a while that actually contains new material. So, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, and JJ, of course I listened to the audiobook. Yeah, but it's not, I think, just supposed to be a Russian accent. And I say that, JJ, because the, the narrator's actually quite good at doing other accents, right? So I, I, I bet you that he could put together uh, a Russian accent if he just wanted to do a Russian accent. Um, I think that what he was going for uh, is really the loony accent. Um, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> Plenty of discussion of the uh, uh, linguistics uh, of the moon tomorrow night. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, yeah. So uh, we're going to... Um, uh, we're going to... Uh, 
we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the nature of Middle Earth uh, starting in September. Uh, so I hope you'll join me for that. I'm really looking forward to that. We're gonna we're all gonna be reading this book for the first time together and kind of discussing our way through it. Uh, so uh, I hope you will join me. Uh, I hope you will join me for that. Um, and no, Evil Doctor Ken and I do not have um, an update on the lodging yet. We're kind of in the position we always are of sort of being patient and waiting for that information to like for uh, the green light, you know, for that uh, from the venue. Um, but um, I believe we will have that soon. Um, so, um, yeah, any day now, any day now. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, so we'll see. And, and so, Westkit, you're right. There are definitely actual boulders involved uh, in the moon is arch mistress. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no question about that. No question about that. Um, but um, anyway, cool. So at, at the, my other announcement, uh, Evil Dr. Cannon, which you uh, anticipated, was just to remind folks about uh, about Mythmoot. Uh, really excited uh, to... Um, uh, uh, to see folks again, um, it's been uh, it's been really exciting. I just had my first karate class in the, you know about sixteen months in which I actually got to hit somebody apart from my own child. Uh, so that was my thirteen year old son is a second degree black belt. Um, so he and I have been able to hit each other, but uh, I've been able to hit anybody else uh, for a long time. So that was really, uh, that was really wonderful. Um, anyway, so yes, so excited to be, you know, there are several things in my life that I've been waiting for. Uh, that was one. The other was, um, is Mythmoot and being able to get back together. Mythmoot and the, um, uh, uh, the, the, um, uh, regional moots that are going to follow because we are definitely going to be starting up our regional moot program again this coming fall. We're already making plans for New England moot in September and plans are also underway for middle moot back in Iowa again um, in uh, in October. So, um, and yeah, Belongs Mount SoCal, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to be, uh, we're definitely going to be kind of coming back around and talking to folks and, and uh, um, would love to get back to SoCal again this year. Um, SoCal, Bay Moot, um, uh, Sunshine Moot. Oh man, the tragedy of Sunshine Moot 2020. That was the, that was the moot that was scheduled like three weeks after the pandemic hit, basically. Um, but um Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, exactly. And as Dorward says, if you can't come to MythMoot in person this year, uh, it's okay. Moot Hub is going to be a really good option. Uh, we are doing, um, we're putting a lot of work into making uh, the online experience, uh, the hybrid experience, you know, the online part of the hybrid experience um, as fully immersive as possible um, so that you can really be involved, you know, all day through. So, um, anyway... Um, yeah, Drew, it's fired. That is totally true, actually. I think when when I saw you at PAX uh, East, that was just about the last, like, gathering I went to <laughs> for a long, long time after that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> don't worry, JJ. <laughs> I only, I, I, I only, uh, I only, you know, engage in cons fully consensual violence with people. <laughs> I'm not going to attack anybody. Um, yeah. Oh, it was so sad, Gitriana, the cancel of Sunshine Moot last year. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, <laughs> to get back uh, to all of our regional moots and to expand. We're already working on some new ones. Um, I think we have. Um, 
I think we have a Buckeye uh, moot in progress. We're working on an Ohio moot, which we've never had before. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, that's um, uh, there's 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 a bunch. You know, I still am hoping we can get one in the Pacific Northwest, which we've never had. Um, I really am looking forward to the day when uh, the borders come down and we're able to go ahead and do um, maple moot up in Canada, as we ha- were have been you know hoping and planning to do. Um, and, um, uh, anyway, so, and of course, needless to say, uh, hoping to, to move forward with the plans we had been making for Dragon Moot over in Wales, uh, which was meant to have happened back in September of 2020. Um, uh, so, and Mile High Moot, Emily, that's another thing that's been under discussion before, but has, but has never happened. So, um, yeah, lots of, uh, lots of possibilities. Um, <laughs> and Dime, my, my kids would still really love uh, to do uh, the Hail Karaxamut or uh, the Remoot, uh, as uh, we sometimes call it. Uh, that is the Alaska Moot. <laughs> for, for like, you know, Dime, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be uh, you know, you, me, and the polar bears. I don't know. Um, but um, anyway, we are working on it. So um, really excited to get things up and running again this year. Now, um, let's jump back into the text. Four slides left in the Council of Elrond. So you will remember, of course, last time Bilbo had been uh, making his statement and we were thinking about the different kind of um, levels of, of significance of that, thinking about um, what Bilbo was thinking, um, thinking about how... Like, what he's like, what he's directing towards Frodo, what he's sort of saying for himself, and what he was directing towards Elrond also, um, in um, uh, in those uh, uh, in those statements. Um, so today we get to the response. Of course, my dear Bilbo said Gandalf, if you had really started this affair, you might be expected to finish it. But you know well enough now that starting is too great a claim for any, and that only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero. You need not bow. Though the word was meant, and we do not doubt that under jest you are making a valiant offer, but one beyond your strength, Bilbo. You cannot take this thing back. It has passed on. If you need my advice any longer, I should say that your part is ended, unless as a recorder. Finish your book and leave the ending unaltered. There is still hope for it. But get ready to write a sequel when they come back. Bilbo laughed. I have never known you give me pleasant advice before, he said. And as all your unpleasant advice has been good, I wonder if this advice is not bad. Still, I suppose I have not the strength or luck left to deal with the ring. It has grown, and I have not. But tell me, what do you mean by they? The messengers who are sent with the ring. Exactly. And who are they to be? That seems to me what this council has to decide, and all that it has to decide. Elves may thrive on speech alone, and dwarves endure great weariness. But I am only an old hobbit, and I miss my meal at noon. Can't we think of some names now, or put it off till after dinner? Okay. Um, so... So much I want to talk about here. So much I'm looking forward to talking about here. Um, first, let's focus on Gandalf's reply. Let's do this in order. I was tempted to jump in at Bilbo's uh, response. Some things there that I really want to jump into. Yes, yeah, Tarlonio, I was, I was thinking the same thing. I was just about to talk about the choice of the word messengers uh, by Gandalf there. But, but, but no. Let's start at, this, let's start at the beginning. 
Um, how Gandalf approaches Bilbo, right? Um, we've already had, you know, this comes right after, um, this comes right after the response, right, by, um, uh, by the room, right? We've had Boromir's response, right, as he's laughing uh, at what Bilbo obviously intended on some level as a joke, um, and yet uh, he sees everyone else being gravely respectful, uh, and he sees, uh, and Glowen, of course, is smiling. Um, uh, I, I agree with what many expressed last week. Um, uh, certainly, in affection, a smile uh, at old memories, in which I do not doubt comments about grocers uh, were crossing through his mind. Um, yes. Um, yeah. Now. Uh, Bjorning in Exile, I agree that only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero is a really poignant follow-up to Elrond's small hands comment. Um, yes. Yes, it is. Only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero. That is, it does correspond really interestingly. Um, and it's it's interesting in that he's, he's not quite reversing it, but the impact seems to be the opposite, right? Um, such is often the way... Uh, uh, the way of things, right? Elrond says, right? Um, small hands do these great deeds because they must. And then Gandalf turns around and says, only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero, right? Um, and I don't think there's any contradiction here. Both are quite right. Um, uh, yes, the deeds that move the wheels of the world are often done by small hands, Right? That is true. But it is also true that only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero. Um, he is not... Um, Gandalf, that is to say, um, is not diminishing the people. Like He's not... He's like, hey, don't like the people with small hands get you know, all puffed up about this, right? That, that's not his point. His point is he's recontextualizing um, the great deeds, right? Um... What he's responding to specifically is Bilbo's claim to have started this affair, right? Bilbo, the silly hobbit, has started this affair, and Bilbo um, had better finish it or himself, right? That's the statement that Gandalf is responding to. Um, as, and as he has just said, if you had really started this affair, you might be expected to finish it. And it's in regard to that that he adds, you know well enough now that starting is too great a claim for any. Um, so... He's saying both a specifically relevant thing and then making a general observation, right? The specific claim is, Bilbo, you've been listening, right, for the last few hours. You know that you only came in at the tail end of the Ring story, right? I mean, the story of the Ring and how the Ring, uh, you know, how it is that we have come to be holding among us here this object which gives us the unique opportunity to bring Sauron low, right? I mean, like we have the means functionally to destroy Sauron here among us, and but that was something that began way back in Eregion at least, right? Even that one could argue is not really the starting point per se, um, but, um, uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, I do think that that's um, uh, 
I do think that that's pretty clear, right? The first thing that he's saying is, this is a long story, right? The, 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 the 77 years since you first encountered the ring is a tiny little chapter in the story of the Ring of Power as a whole, right? So on the one hand, he says that pretty clearly. Um, on the other hand, he says, um, only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero. Um, and that, I think, is it's, it's not only more general, right? He's not just saying it's not just about this story. This is true of all stories, right? Even the greatest heroes whom we might think of as being, um, you know, like this is it's the whole, you know, I mean, like think about the Silmarillion stories, for instance, that we tend to identify with the name of a character, right? Like the story of Turin Turinbar or the story of Eärendil, right? Um, or something like that, right? Any of those characters, any of those stories, in those stories as well, it is also true that only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero. I think that Gandalf's claim is uh, twofold here. On the one hand, coming as it does after his um, statement about this affair, right, echoing Bilbo's phrase, um, you know, this this whole Ring of Power affair, um, He's speaking chronologically, right? So on the one hand, it's about the chronological extent of things. That any time a hero plays a part in a story, even if it's a pivotal point, even if it's a crucial point, um, it is only a small part of that story, right? I mean, like just to take either of the examples I just gave from the Silmarillion. Yeah, Turin Turambar is the hero, you know, for better or for worse, of the story, you know, that the longest story that we get in the Silmarillion, but that story itself is only picking up on stories that had already been, that it had been going on for some time, right? The animosity between, um, uh, you know, that, that story has its roots in the, the, the story of Hurin and Morgoth, right? Which itself has its roots uh, in earlier stories, right? I mean, it's part of a larger, it's part of a larger um Narrative, okay. Um, uh, so yes, only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero. But I think that there's also, um, and yes, Frumius Bujum, you were right to be remembering uh, uh, Gandalf's uh, "You're only a little fellow in a wide world after all" um, at the end of The Hobbit. Right? He said a similar thing uh, to Bilbo back then. Right. Um, and that's exactly what I was just coming to, is that I do think that he is also speaking in that moment in The Hobbit, right? Um, Gandalf seems to be uh, pointing in the very last paragraph to a theme which has been fairly clear, you know, if, 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 if one is paying attention, all the way through The Hobbit. And that is that there's been this story, there's been this whole conspiracy, right? Bilbo's luck is not really his luck. Um, he has been the agent uh, of this story, but it's been this bigger story in which Bilbo has been uh, swept up in. Only a small part was played in those great deeds by any hero. Um, and The Hobbit is actually a really interesting, um, a really interesting illustration of this, this statement that Gandalf is making. We can think about this on several different levels. Right. We can think about this uh, in relation to Bilbo himself, as Gandalf points out. Right. And even think of the ways in which Bilbo himself 
drops out of the story after he gives away the Arkenstone, right? He plays almost no role in the Battle of Five Armies. Um, uh, I mean, he spots the eagles, but they were coming anyway, right? So uh, uh, he didn't really change anything there. I mean, he doesn't really do anything after that, right? The, like the big, great events at the end. Um, did he play a role? Yeah, yeah. But but again, he he only had one part to play. He didn't get rid of the dragon, you know, he, or he played one small role in the getting rid of the dragon, right? Um, uh, anyway, so Bilbo himself illustrates it in The Hobbit, but then also you can look at almost anything, right? Um, look at Bard, right? Bard is a great hero um, uh, in The Hobbit story. He's the dragon slayer. That's a really big deal. I mean, think of how many of Tolkien's other stories would have made, you know, Bard the Bowman, the dragon slayer of Esgaroth, the hero of that story, right? I mean, like, it kind of would have been a story about him, um, except it's it's not, right? Um, only a small part is played uh, in that story uh, by Bard. Anyway, t- I'm just saying, I, I, just, I think it's kind of interesting, thinking of Bilbo, I think it's kind of interesting uh, how The Hobbit sort of uh, shows this. But again, coming back to... Um, uh, coming back to um, uh, the... Um, the kind of ontological statements, right, um, that Gandalf is pointing to obliquely, as he always does, uh, at the end of The Hobbit. I think that that's true here. We've seen several places where I think Gandalf especially uh, is pointing to the act of providence, right? The overall, the story that is unfolding in the music of the Ainur, of which they are all a part, right? In which they are all of them only playing one small part in the big context of the entire orchestral work, right? That is the history of Middle-earth as it moves forward. Um, and, um, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I do think that both of those things, both the chronological extent, as several of you have uh, pointed out, um, Sam is also thinking about stories in this way on the stairs of Kirathungal, right? About how the stories just go on and on. Um, Baron and Luthien were only a, a small characters, it turns out, in the story that they were a part of because the tale is still going on, as Sam discovers. And he's now in it, right? Um, and, you know, that doesn't makes Sam feel super important. It just makes him realize how big the stories are. And Gandalf is clearly pointing to that here, too. So again, I don't think his his point is not to diminish the great deeds or to diminish the heroes, right? But to sort of point to the very much larger context, larger chronologically, larger sort of in scope, right? Um, and, um, and of which Bilbo's little snippet of the story of the One Ring is an illustration, right? So he kind of moves from that um, uh, sort of teasing, not exactly teasing yet. He's still speaking very gently. I'm not saying he's not going to get around to teasing uh, uh, Bilbo, but I actually think that Gandalf is, to me, surprisingly gentle. Um, Surprisingly gentle in, in... this whole paragraph, actually. Um, I think that he's less teasing to Bilbo here than one might actually expect him to be, especially given that Bilbo himself, um, that Bilbo himself initiated the jesting tone, right? The tone of hobbitry, um, uh, making 
you know, darkly humorous um, uh, remarks about, you know, ending uh, the ring or himself and all that kind of thing. Um, but, um, but Gandalf doesn't take him up on that tone, right? From the very beginning. Um, of course, my dear Bilbo. He begins instead with gentleness and affection. My dear Bilbo. Of course, if you had really started this affair, you might be expected to finish it. Um, and then he doesn't tease him. He doesn't belittle him, which he could do, right? I mean, that would be... Um, um, I could imagine, uh, you know, absurd is a sort of a favorite word of Gandalf's, right? He often calls things absurd or people absurd. Um, don't be absurd, right, is uh, one of Gandalf's favorite phrases. Um you know, he could have thrown out something like that, right? You know, he could have, uh, 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 you know, made some sort of, um, you know, remark that was cutting in a friendly way, uh, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't do that. Um, instead, he makes this broad statement that we've been talking about, right? Which ends with, while contextualizing the great deeds done by heroes as small parts in the larger story that's unfolding... But, of course, embedded in that whole observation is a compliment, a significant compliment to Bilbo, right? Classifying him as a hero. And Bilbo Bilbo gets it, right? Bilbo hears that compliment and bows to him, right? Um, now, one thing that I wonder... Um, one thing that I wonder is... What is the tone of Bilbo's bow? Like, is he, um, how much is he smiling when he bows, right? Is he, does he take it as a joke in some way? Like, is he kind of taking it or almost passing it off as a joke? Is he overcome with, um, serious, you know, is he like seriously and genuinely honored, uh, and is sort of responding, um, uh, in that way. Um, Matt, yes, I agree. Bakshi's version makes that mistake of having Gandalf be grumpy at Bilbo's offer. Yeah, absolutely, which I think is, is dead wrong. Dead wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but even when Gandalf... So with how much... I think that... I bet you that Bilbo is not yet... I don't think that he's completely sobered. You know, I don't think that he's, like, totally serious uh, when he's bowing. I would bet you that his bow is intended as a little bit of, like, kind of passing it off as a joke, um, at least mildly, right? Kind of diffusing the moment, right? Rather than being like, oh, thank you, Gandalf. No, no, no. Oh, really? You shouldn't, right? That's not Bilbo, right? Instead, he kind of makes a joke out of it, like, oh, you know, oh, gosh, thank you, right? And bows. Um... But Gandalf, again, if that's the tone in which Bilbo does it, um, the mood in which Bilbo does it, Gandalf, again, doesn't take him up on it, doesn't give it back to him, right? Does not descend from his serious, though gentle and affectionate tone. You need not bow. Though the word was meant, and we do not doubt that under jest you are making a valiant offer, but one beyond your strength, Bilbo. You cannot take this thing back. Okay, so now there are two um, 
two things. Flamifer, I agree. Partly serious, partly hobbitry, I think, is, is, uh, is exactly it. He's not, like, actually, you know, making fun of Gandalf for saying it, right? But not wholly serious, not wholly, um, uh, not wholly joking, I think, exactly. Um, there are two things, though, that really interested me about what Gandalf, what Gandalf, how Gandalf goes on to reply to his bow, right? Um, though the word was meant... Um, and he uses this as a springboard to puncture Bilbo's joking. We do not doubt that under jest you are making a valiant offer. Like, I want to... Gandalf is kind of embarrassing Bilbo here, right? I, I don't mean in a mean-spirited kind of way, right? But um, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of... a lot of honesty going on here, right? I mean, like the kind of honesty that embarrasses folk, especially if I may say English folk, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, uh, like, like, like hobbits. Um, I, we do not doubt that under jest you are making a valiant offer. I acknowledge that you, although you were joking, you were legitimately willing to put yourself on the block, right? You were perfectly willing uh, to sacrifice yourself here. Um, but here's the other thing that I don't know what to do with. And you'll probably laugh at me when I say it, but is anybody else confused by Gandalf's sentence structure here? Did that jump out to anybody else? What do you notice about that? Though the word was meant, and we do not doubt that under jest you are making a valiant offer, but one beyond your strength, Bilbo. Those are both sentence fragments. Gandalf doesn't usually talk in sentence fragments. Right? Um, and this is one that, um, whenever, we, whenever I come to this passage uh, in the audiobook version, in the Rob English reading, um, it always trips me up. I always notice this sentence uh, because it sounds like he just screwed it up. It sounds like he kind of, you know, you do that thing where you start reading a sentence and you kind of get the clauses wrong and, and you kind of uh, just don't enunciate the sentence right and then it ends up kind of being chopped up or something. So it's, that's what it sounds like. But it's not. It's, that's, that's what's there in the text. Gandalf stumbles around on two sentence fragments there. Though the word was meant, and we do not doubt that under a jest you are making a valiant offer, comma, what? I think the way to understand this, I think what he, so you can tell, right, the way that that sentence, with the long uh, compound subordinate clause, right, I think what Gandalf began to say was, though the word was meant, and we do not doubt that under jest you are making a valiant offer, you cannot take this thing back. That makes perfect sense, right? But then he interjects in the middle of that. But one beyond your strength, Bilbo. Though the word was meant, and we do not doubt that under jest you are making a valiant offer, but one beyond your strength, Bilbo, you cannot take this thing back. Um, it sounds like he's interrupted himself there, 
is he interrupting him? If he is interrupting himself, is he doing it in response to Bilbo? Like Bilbo's nonverbal cues here? Bilbo, Bilbo's just bowing, and then he points, you know, sort of exposes the valor, right, of, uh, of, of, of Bilbo's offer. Um, yeah, uh, Flamifer and um, uh, Ian uh, McClear on uh, Twitch were both just suggesting, is this, is emotion getting the better of Gandalf here? Um, is the, is a, it, maybe, maybe it is. Um, but one beyond your strength, Bilbo. I don't know. I'm not sure I'm whole, wholly convinced by that. Um, mostly because I think that the um, I'm not saying he's not experiencing emotion here, but it doesn't seem to be that sort of emotion. Like the kind of emotion that makes you stumble over your words. I don't know. Um, again, gentle affection seems to is how I would describe, how I've been describing sort of the mood of this whole paragraph. Um, uh, yeah, you cannot take this thing back. It has passed on. Uh, the simplicity of that latter sentence is just what I would have expected, right? To have this long, compound, complex setup, and then the simple conclusion. It has passed on. Um, yeah. Belongsmont is wondering if Gandalf got caught off guard by what Bilbo said. Was it unexpected? Perhaps. Here's the thing. Let me come at this by asking a further question, which I haven't asked yet. Why? Why is Gandalf not giving it back to Bilbo? Why is Gandalf not teasing Bilbo? Why does he answer him instead? Because Gandalf's good at hobbitry. And... Are there any other times? Are there... Can you show me any other times in The Lord of the Rings when one of the hobbits is addressing Gandalf in a teasing tone and he doesn't give it back to him, right? Sometimes, you know... Um, I mean, like, look at Gandalf and Pippin, right? I mean, seriously. Um, I... Don't, yeah, don't be a fool. Exactly. That's more like what Gandalf is. Impatience or teasing in return, right? Um, he's, uh, it's very, very unusual that he doesn't give it back, right? So why isn't he? Bilbo made this easy, right? Bilbo made this easy, but Gandalf isn't taking him up on it. Um... Yes, I agree, Druid's Fire, that Bilbo does expect a hobbitry response. Um, I agree. I agree. Um, in Admiral Malcontent, I do believe that Gandalf is talking to more than just Bilbo here, for sure. But here's the thing that I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Gandalf recognizes, although Bilbo is joking, this is not a joking matter, right? Because... This is not just a question of a valiant offer, right? Bilbo has not just offered his own life for the free peoples of Middle-earth. He has done that, right? It is a valiant offer. Um, 
He is a hero generally recognized by the room, as Boromir notices to his surprise, right? Um, but of course, there's another way to look at that speech that Bilbo just made. One thing that he is concealing under jest is the valor of his quite serious offer. But there could potentially be another thing that Bilbo is concealing under jest, right? And that is his desire for the ring. Exactly, Lupilia. And Dux. Precisely. Precisely. Another thing that Gandalf might be seeing happening here is that this is also a very plausible gambit. This could be like a very plausible excuse for the recovered alcoholic to go to the bar, right? Um, and Gandalf is being... So he treats this very, very carefully. And where he starts stumbling, where he starts almost doubting himself, is when he's going to come to the point. And I, perhaps why he builds up to it um, as gently and carefully as he does, and in such a complimentary fashion, right? Because... Those two things, which he ends up saying as short, simple sentences, potentially are crushing to Bilbo. Depending on it, Gandalf can't be sure exactly where he is inside, right? Because remember, this is uncharted territory, right? Nobody knows. Nobody knows at all what a person who has given up the ring of power will respond when back in the presence of the Ring of Power, right? Um, what's going to happen to Bilbo? Gandalf saw what happened to Bilbo. Right? Gandalf was alarmed to see the kind of effect that the ring had had on Bilbo. We saw that back in chapter one. And Gandalf had had to exert his own power to resist the power of the ring and to assist Bilbo's will in asserting itself against the ring back in chapter one and to give it up, Right? Is he going to have to do that again? Right? Is he going to have to... Uh, um, is he going to have to... Is this going to get ugly? It got ugly in Bag End. Is it going to get ugly here again? Right? It could. It doesn't. But it could. And I th that's my theory about why Gandalf is stumbling here. You cannot take this thing back. It has passed on. Is Bilbo going to start calling him a thief again? Is Bilbo going to start saying things like, if you want my ring for yourself, then just say so? Um, that's what happened the last time they had this kind of confrontation, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, JJ, I agree. It's also complicated in the other way, right? Um, JJ says that Bilbo isn't after the ring, or doesn't realize that he is, accusing him of such outright could make Bilbo resentful and cause him to dwell on things he wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, like, he's got to be really careful, Gandalf does here, right? You cannot take this thing back. Cannot. Cannot. Not you should not, right? Um, you cannot take this thing back. It's, it's not, that's not on the table. Can't be on the table, Bilbo. It has passed on. The ring has passed on. It can't go back to you. And this is where I think um, he, Gandalf, 
um, comes into uh, the... Th- this is why I think Gandalf ends up stumbling over his syntax, right? He starts off the big thing that he has to say, you cannot take the ring back. You cannot take this thing back, right? Notice he doesn't even name it. He doesn't even name it. Um, in the entire paragraph, he doesn't name it. He never says the ring. If you had started this affair, echoing Bilbo's language, um, starting is too, starting anything is too great, great a claim for any, right? You are making a valiant offer about something. Um, you cannot take this thing back. It has passed on. Um, uh, yeah, he never mentions it, right? Um, so again, what he was building up to saying was, you cannot take this thing back. And he's already doing it carefully. Though the word was meant, and we do not doubt that under jest you were making a valiant offer, you cannot take this thing back. Qualification, qualification. Um, kind and friendly, warm and fuzzy. Drop it. You can't, you can't take it back, right? And he interrupts himself, right? It's like in the middle of his setup, he gets another idea, right? About another thing to emphasize. But one beyond your strength, Bilbo. It's, you cannot take, you, it's, it is beyond your strength. It has passed on. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, make way for Frodo, Lord of the Thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, good, yeah. Uh, Lupilia, you're right. Faramir also calls it this thing. And I suspect Lupilia for the same reason. Um, he doesn't want to name it either. We know that Gondorians are careful about naming things, right? The Dark Land and um, he whom we do not name, right? Um, so I, I believe that's the same reason that Faramir calls it this thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and good. Yeah, several of you are asking about the pleasant advice. We're going to get there in, in just a second. Um, and this, I think, is awesome. This is like a low-key high point for Bilbo's character, in my opinion, what's about to come up. But we're not done with Gandalf yet. Because look at where he goes after he drops it. You cannot take this thing back. It has passed on. Again, first of all, notice how this parallels the statement that he made earlier on. You know well enough now that starting is too great a claim for any and that only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero, right? You know you didn't start this story because you hear that it started thousands of years before you found the ring. And in general... Any hero plays only one small part in because all of these stories are part of the big story of Middle Earth, which is really not about any one of us, right? Um, and notice how he does the same kind of pattern, right? You cannot take this thing back. You know, you don't have the strength. It's, it would be a totally bad idea. You cannot take this thing back. It has passed on. The story of the ring is still going on, but Bilbo's role in it has done. Only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero, right? Um, so I love the, the kind of parallelism there. But then, where does it go? If you need my advice any longer, I should say that your part is ended, unless as a recorder. Finish your book and leave the ending unaltered. 
if you need my advice any longer, that too is, again, notice how by saying that he is softening. He has just said in a no doubt and a very authoritative manner, you cannot take this thing back. I know you were offering. And to that I say, no, Bilbo, no, it can't be. It won't happen. It has passed on. So on my authority, I am telling you these things, Bilbo. And then I'm going to say, if you need my advice any longer, right, I'm going to say that you are now like, in, you're, you're independent, right, uh, of, my, of my advice. Um, you don't need to be advised by me. You are, you've graduated, right, from my uh, bossing around, despite the fact that I literally just bossed you around in the, pre- in the last sentence that I said, right? Um, and... Um, uh, yeah, so I I think that that's a. It's like he's uh, uh, bookending his hard words, like the difficult that the words that might be difficult, most difficult for Bilbo to hear. Right, bookends it with the hero comment and the "if you need my advice any longer." Right, but even then, what he goes on to say, I should say that your part is ended unless, as a recorder, finish your book and leave the ending unaltered. Um, finish your book, but get ready to write a sequel when they come back. Um, two main things I want to emphasize um, uh, about the end of Gandalf's speech here. Uh, first, the emphasis of Bilbo's book. I can't think of anything more kindly than to take Bilbo's book this seriously, right? Um, do you see that he is escalating? How much he is escalating Bilbo's book here? Your private memoirs, Bilbo? Yeah. No, actually, you are a recorder of the, you know, the story which is so great that only a small part is played in great deeds by any hero. Um, yes, your book will take its place in, you know, the um, uh, the lore of the great deeds of this time, right? That's um, really interesting, right? Really interesting, I think. Um, uh, and again, exceptionally gentle, affectionate, and kind by Bilbo. Uh, but, sorry, by Gandalf towards Bilbo. Um, and um, But not just kind, not just like, isn't he saying... A nice thing, right? It's also, it's also legitimate, right? You do still have a role, right? I, I, I you know, he does still have a role, and I think honestly, um, this is, um, uh, this is something that I think is, um, it's not just flattery. It's not just flattery of Bilbo, right? Um, Bilbo does play a role uh, in not only preserving but making the lore of this age, right? We know that Bilbo is going to be instrumental in the, you know, what Aragorn will go on to talk about, about keeping the memory of the Elder Days alive in the age to come, right? Yeah, you know, Bilbo might feel like... um, 
you know, rather a small fellow in a big library at Rivendell, right? Uh, I mean, what does he, um, you know, this silly old hobbit have to contribute to this wealth of lore, right? But he has a great deal to contribute. Um, and it is already, has already been making an impact, right? Um, with, uh, uh, we saw that with Sam, right? And Sam's recitation of the Gilgo adverse, clearly translated by Bilbo, um, as we were looking at at the time, clearly translated by Bilbo as a way to teach young juvenile hobbits um, the stories of ages past, Sam clearly being his star pupil in this regard, uh, as far as having a love for the stories of the elder days stirred within them. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's um, exactly the translations from the Elvish by Bilbo Baggins, um, Bjorn in Exile, that's a, it, it's a huge deal, right? It's a huge deal. Um, uh, yes, the importance of reinterpreting and uh, and uh, just um, transmitting, even, I would say, GDC, the old tales for a new audience, is a hugely important role. Um, so, yeah, there's... Um, he does have a part to play as a recorder. And Gandalf's not merely flattering. It is flattering. You know, it is very kindly in that way. Um and does immediately give Bilbo a positive thing to focus on, just in case he's getting that itch, right? Um, he can turn his attention to something productive, right? And not simply feel... Because, again, remember Bilbo's old reactions from, from back in the first chapter, right? Um, calling Gandalf a thief... Uh, accusing him of just trying to get the ring to maneuver to get the ring for himself, right? Um, those are the potential kinds of reactions that Bilbo could be having at this moment. So what is he doing? Giving him a positive thing to latch onto, right? But there's a second thing. It's not only the the recording. It's not only the book writing. The other thing is Belongsman, just as you said uh, before, this is... Um, extremely hopeful, right? I mean, one would say almost inordinately hopeful. Um, he's demonstrating here a kind of hope that seems actually counterindicated, right? Um, by what they've just been talking about, right? I should say your part is ended unless as a recorder. Finish your book and leave the ending unaltered. That's the first point, right? Don't give up hope <clears throat> for your own life. You will live happily ever after. Well, that's hopeful. So I guess Sauron is not going to come in force to Rivendell and blast the place eventually, right? Um, even Bilbo's probably not going to get the chance to live happily ever after. In fact, you could even argue that if Sauron recovers the ring, Bilbo, as a former ring bearer, um, as someone else who, you know, claimed the ring for his own for many years, um, Bilbo would be on the short list of people who would likely to be tormented deliberately or incidentally um, by Sauron in his possession of the ring. Um, so 
even his statement that Bilbo should leave the ending unaltered, even 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 the proposition that Bilbo Baggins is going to live happily ever after till the end of his days, um, is a pretty optimistic view of how this story is going to turn out, right? Um, uh, and then there's he explicitly says it. There is still hope for it. But get ready to write a sequel when they come back. Holy cow, when they come back? For real? Come back? Goodness, isn't that skipping a bit there? <laughs> right? I mean, whoa, we're talking about the return journey already? Gandalf speaking confidently, telling Bilbo to prepare himself for the, you know, successful outcome? Not only that, um, not only is the quest going to be successful and Sauron destroyed, but those who are sent with the ring will come back? Really? I mean, it kind of was seeming a little bit ago that the best we could hope for was, you know, (laughs) them going down with the ship, right? Um... Yes, Captain Moe, exactly. Gandalf is giving Bilbo the hope that it's going to be a there-and-back-again story. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, from the beginning of the suggestion of this, back in Chapter 2 with Frodo, right, um, he was immediately foreboding that there was going to be no back-again, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, But um, Gandalf is is ready, right? Is ready for the successful outcome and tells Bilbo to get ready to prepare himself to write a sequel. Um, and that's kind of amazing. Yes, Bjorn of Exile is remembering the line about kindling hearts uh, uh, in a world grown cold. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's Gandalf's job, right? And we can see him doing it here. There is still hope for it. But get ready to write a sequel when they come back. Um, Now, now we have this moment, which again, I think is a low-key, really big moment. Bilbo laughs. Bilbo's response. How is Bilbo going to respond to this moment, right? Um, uh, You know, I will do what I choose and go as I please, right? Is that that what he's going to say? Uh, in response to Gandalf's speech. He could, right? Um, Gandalf has seen this before. How is it going to affect Bilbo? He laughs. I've never known you give me pleasant advice before. Um, The way that Bilbo turns the whole thing into a joke, again, right? That he maintains the same level of hobbitry and teases Gandalf. As all your unpleasant advice has been good, I wonder if this advice is not bad. Still, I don't suppose I have the strength or luck left to deal with the ring. We'll come back to his serious statements at the end, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, His characterization of Gandalf's advice to stay in Rivendell and finish his book and write the happily ever after ending, um, his characterization of that as pleasant advice is so telling, right? Um, some 
we're suggesting that it is possible. Um, uh, some of you were suggesting that it is possible that um, Bilbo's characterization of this as pleasant advice suggests that he was not, in fact, at all feeling any ring longing. Um, I think that that's possible, but I doubt it. I don't think it. Pro- I don't think that's what it shows. I think it shows that he has overcome it. Um, I'm not saying that I think that he was in the grip of the ring when he was speaking before. Um, I don't think that he, it was just, he was being, you know, compelled by his overmastering desire for the ring uh, to make, I don't think that. Um, I don't think that it was all, you know, um, under jest, it was all a ploy, right? Um, He was trying to throw them off the scent and conceal his true desire. I get, no, I don't think any of those things. Those are way too extreme. Right. But was there in the quiet of his mind, a little rationalization going on? Right. Was there a part of his mind, you know, this sort of familiar voice in the quiet corner of his mind offering this rationalization? Right. Um, If again, even like they're probably going to ask Frodo to do it so I could step forward and do this. And by that rationalization, sign myself up to get my ring back, right? Um, Again, it it has all of the feelings, the feeling of that, right? It has all the sense of that, like that that that's just, it's just lurking, right? Um, Again, like like a, a recovered alcoholic might really genuinely bring themselves to believe that under these circumstances and for this very good reason, you know, going into this bar won't be a big deal, right? But there's always going to be a level on which there is deep down some rationalization going on, right? That's how when one does fall back into old patterns that one has, you know, into old addictions that one has kicked or old, you know, uh, patterns of choice that one has walked away from, that's how they always return, right? Usually, uh, or at least it's a very common way, right? Um, So was that, was there a level in which that was happening? I think definitely yes. But Bilbo wins. Bilbo wins. His laughter shows that he wins. Um, he accepts it, unquestioningly accepts it. Um, I've never known you give me pleasant advice before. Is there even a level on which, again, under jest, he is reassuring Gandalf? Is there a sense in which that sentence translates to, don't worry, Gandalf, I'm not going to call you a thief again and accuse you of trying to rob me? Right. Um, I think so. I think so. I think that's one of the reasons why he's teasing him, why he teases him here about the unpleasant advice. Right. And wondering if this advice is not bad. Um, uh, What is he doing? He's pointing out the reversal in Gandalf and, you know, in Gandalf's advice. Um, And in pointing that out, he is demonstrating the reversal in himself. Right. Um, Yeah. Don't worry. 
I'm, I'm actually, I'm really, I'm really sober and I'm going to stay sober, right? I'm not, uh, I'm not going there. Um, and I agree, Bjorning in Exile, the thought of Bilbo reassuring Gandalf with the authority of age and the equality of a friend is, is lovely. I, I completely agree with that. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, good. I agree. He's implying that telling him to give up the ring in the first place was unpleasant advice. That was good advice. Yes. Is, is the, uh, his recollect, his general reference to the unpleasant advice that Gandalf has given him, right? You know, um, you know, uh, uh, give it away and then you can be free, right? That was unpleasant advice. Gandalf was giving Bilbo a bunch of unpleasant advice, um, uh, on that night, right? Um, and do I think that by teasing him about this, Bilbo is acknowledging that, acknowledging that history and reassuring Gandalf that it's not, um, it's not going to happen, right? Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it's... Um, I think I just I think this is a wonderful, wonderful passage. But now we get Bilbo stops joking. Still, I don't suppose I have the strength or luck left to deal with the ring. It has grown, and I have not. Um, and that's really fascinating, isn't it? Um, his reference to luck, obviously, m should make us think directly of the Hobbit, right? Remembering the Hobbit and Bilbo's role in the Hobbit, um, his reference to his luck, right? Um, and how his luck is not run out, you know, in the way one says, you know, like a gambler's luck runs out, right, uh, when he rolls snake eyes or something. Um, but um, uh, he doesn't have the strength or luck left. Um, notice also there's there's a He's agreeing with Gandalf, one beyond your strength, Bilbo, right? He's agreeing with Gandalf's statement there. Um, though notice he kind of qualifies it a little bit. I don't suppose I have the strength left, right? Uh, it's almost like, hey, I'm not saying it was, you know, I'm not sure it was always beyond my strength, right? I totally could have handled this. 60 years ago, I totally could have handled this, right? But you're right. Nowadays, maybe not so much. Um, back when I was the protagonist, Gandalf, I could have managed this, right? Um, but, um, but not, uh, not before, right? Not before. Um, anyway, I, I think that this is, um, that's really interesting, but more. It has grown, and I have not. Now, I do suspect that that's literally true. Lupilia, as you say, the power of the ring has grown with Sauron's rise back to power, and it will grow more and more when, um, uh, as, as geographically, as they get closer to Mordor, right? With the, you know, um, the power of the, the ring increasing, you know, as uh, what, what, like an inverse distance squared relation or something like that. Um, it's definitely, that's definitely going to happen. But I don't think, I think all that stuff is true. And Bilbo might be talking about that, but I don't think that he is. I don't think that's what, I think, that, I think that's true, but I don't think it's what Bilbo means. I don't think it's what he's talking about here. It has grown and I have not. Um, 
Blad the Inspirer, I do think that um, he means the ring has moved on. I think that's also him agreeing with Gandalf, right? He just acknowledged that Gandalf is right to say it's beyond his strength. And now he's saying Gandalf is right to say that the ring has passed on. But he's saying that in a very different way. But I think they both are perceiving the same thing, though they're talking about it differently. Right? What both of them are saying, again, think back to where Gandalf began with stories and the roles played in stories by heroes. Right, um, He had his small part in the big story, and it's mostly done now. Right, He still has a part to play, as Gandalf says, but that part is done. Um, and Gandalf, that's what Gandalf seems to be emphasizing when he says, it has passed on. Right, There are other people now who are playing their own small part in the next stage of the story. Um, the story of the ring is not your story, Bilbo. You are not going to be expected to finish it, therefore, right? Um, and Bilbo seems to acknowledge the same thing, but he doesn't only acknowledge that the story has gone on and his role in it is done. He characterizes it in a different way. It has grown, and I have not. It's not just that the story continues. It's that the story has changed, right? This is not the same story. This is not the same ring. Um, the story has grown, I think. Has the ring grown? Yes. But I think in the way that he refers to this, um, yes, the ring has grown because he now understands its story. But it's his relationship with the ring was totally different. And he knows that, and he sees that now. Does Bilbo feel a little bit sheepish in some ways about the way in which he used the ring? Um, uh, you know, his useful invisibility ring. Um, you know, is, Gandal is Bilbo now going to kind of laugh at himself with some sheepishness to think that, you know, the artifact on which hangs the fate of the entire you know, third age of Middle-earth and the lives of all of the free people of Middle-earth, that he used to use that to avoid Lobelia Sackville Baggins, right? Um, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy. And yes, I was thinking exactly the same thing that you guys are thinking. Of course, Tolkien, this is literally true for Tolkien, right? Bilbo is acknowledging, um, just, as, um, uh, just as you said earlier on, who was saying, uh, Johannes, it is almost fourth wall breaking as well, right? Because, of course, this is literally true. The ring has grown, and Bilbo hasn't grown. Bilbo is not set to be the great hero of this new story. The ring has grown. The concept of it has changed. The story has grown. I mean, goodness, this story is growing all the time. It was meant to be just a sequel to The Hobbit, and it's already way out of whack. It's already way longer than The Hobbit was, and he's not even... He's barely halfway done. I mean, fortunately, he has now reached the halfway point, because he's gotten to Rivendell, right? And, of course, I'm joking, um, but that's what Tolkien thought when he got to the Council of Elrond. He thought he was halfway done at this time. Um, so, uh, uh, so, yes, the story is going to keep on growing. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, yes. Um, yes. Anyway, so I do think that, um, 
Bilbo's perception of the shift in the story is very, very interesting, right? Um, and he is almost, it's, it's like, it's a very meta moment uh, in this story right here. Because, I mean, I don't think that he's, that Tolkien is literally breaking the fourth wall here. But what he's doing um, is, uh, what he's doing is, Tolkien is doing, is projecting the same realization um, that he had, like the same process onto Bilbo, essentially, right? Um, Bilbo's perception of the story is paralleling Tolkien's perception of the story, right? It has grown. It has grown. He's not this kind of hero. Um, he can't cope with the ring. He doesn't have the strength or luck left. Um, yeah, doesn't have the luck left. It's not that kind of story anyway, right? The story's grown. Um, back in The Hobbit, um, you know, having luck well beyond the measure, uh, you know, of others, as Thorin said, um, was, you know, very useful. Uh, and uh, he used to take, a, 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 you know... Um, you know, think about him talking about trusting his luck, all those luck references in The Hobbit. Um, but the story has grown. This is not just a luck situation, right? Um, now, Matt, I agree with you. Um, there's an irony here, right? In saying it has grown and I have not, Bilbo proves that he has grown, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like the um, it's like the irony of humility. No. It's not like the irony of humility. It is the irony of humility, right? Um, uh, a person who genuinely does not think much of themselves, who simply thinks first and foremost about other people and is not at all concerned about their own status, their own um, reputations, right? How people look at them, Um a humble person like that is very likely to be a, a very great person and able to accomplish great things, right? Um, because they don't think of themselves. Um, and that's exactly what we see with Bilbo here. His perception that this that it, the ring, and also it, the story, has grown and he has not, um, shows his greatness, right? Um but he's not wrong, right? He's not wrong. Um, but it is, uh, Matt, I do think that there's a really, really important, um, a really important irony there. Um, this is, this is the kind of growth that he has, in fact, had. Um, he is much more humble now than he was back in chapter one, than he was back in The Hobbit, right? He has, um, he has grown importantly, very importantly, um, and, um, uh, yeah. Um, so Captain Mo, yes, I think the Bilbo really has grown. Um, but where he's grown, the number one 
thing that is is in his giving up the ring. I was suggesting this before when we were talking about the Hall of Fire, right? That moment when Bilbo says, put it away, I understand now, shows. I think that that is in itself a moment of really important growth. And we were talking um, last week or the week before, I think it was last week in Bilbo's speech, um, about how we can see the effects of that, I think. We can see him, what he has learned from that moment the night before in the Hall of Fire, right? Um, That was a growing moment. And this, I think, is another one. It's one that both is, he is growing in this moment um, and that we are seeing the growth uh, in this moment. Um, But, um, anyway, okay. Um, It has grown and I have not. But tell me, what do you mean by they? Um, He comes back to pick up on the last thing that Gandalf said. And notice what he's also doing here all of a sudden. He's playing Aristor all of a sudden. He's now setting Gandalf up. Um, but tell me, what do you mean by they? Let's, it has grown and I have not, having just made that humble statement, let's stop talking about me. All right, we've been talking about me for a while now. Um, and now that I have um, kind of um, uh, put to rest, Gandalf, your concerns about how you know, whether this is going to get tricky and I'm going to try to claim the ring again, right? Um, uh, let's, I'm, I'm now going to help you move this thing forward, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up on that hint that you just dropped um, when they come back, right? And uh, push this on to its next topic. What do you mean by they? The messengers who are sent with the ring. So now let's talk about messengers. Messengers. That is a fascinating, fascinating noun. The messengers who are sent with the ring. Elrond characterized it as a quest, right? Um, What's the message? And to whom? Yeah, Arendel was a messenger. Yeah. Um, but not in Bilbo's poem. Um, in the old version, there was a merry messenger, uh, um, but not here, right? I don't, I'm pretty sure. Um, was he called a messenger at the end? Does it come back around to calling a messenger? I don't think so. The flammifer, um... Sorry, I'm just running through the lines of the poem in my head. I don't think, I don't think he does. I don't think he does use the word messenger of Arendel in the poem, in the in the in the text. Messengers. I really don't know what to do with it. Um. Right, that's a good question. GDC is saying, um, could it be messenger in the sense of courier? You know, like being sent on an errand, bearing a thing, right? I'm going to give this thing to your custody and have you deliver it, right? Deliver it to Mount Doom. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Ashnaz says the essay in the, of the, on the Astarian Unfinished Tales refers to the wizards as messengers. Could this be a similar usage? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, and I see several people, um, Nathan and Flamifer, uh, that, that messengers um, is what angels were in the Bible. Um, and I think that um, Ashnaz, I think that that's what, when it's there in the essay on the Astari, that Tolkien is using the word messenger in that more angelic sense, that more biblical sense. I don't see that here. Um, I don't see that here. Um, I mean, yes, one could say, Flamifer, that they're like vaguely divine agents, but uh, Tolkien was pretty specific. Remember, this is why he objected to calling... Lots of people wanted him just to say that the Valar were angels. If Tolkien had just said... The Valar angels, people, they're angels, right? Everyone, almost everyone, would have been like, oh, okay, yeah, I get that, fine, right? But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't ever just say that because angel means a particular thing and the Val, Valar are not technically that, right? Um, they're, and they're spiritual beings of a similar order to angels but greater and have a different role and it's it's just it's they they occupy a different part of the angelic hierarchy than angels do and so and Tolkien was too much of a stickler just to wave his hands and say you know angels basically right so he was always very precise about how he used that term um so i don't think i mean is there a parallel in some sense yeah but i don't think the parallel is close enough uh, I, I think that Tolkien would have balked uh, at that um, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. They were they were Oyarsu uh, bricktails. Exactly, they were much more like the Oyarsa uh, of Melacandra and of Perelandra uh, in um, Lucius Lewis's space trilogy. Um, there, we see Lewis and Tolkien working within similar concepts, basically, of spiritual beings of great authority um, who are given responsibility for the formation and development of a planet. Um, yes, yes. Um, but anyway, anyway. Um, so, yeah, so I don't, so this is why I, I don't think, I, I don't think the parallel between those who are sent with the ring and biblical angels is anything like close enough. The parallel between biblical angels and the Astari? Yes, that's close. Not identical. There are important differences, but but that's much closer. Uh, close enough to make me think that that's exactly what Tolkien was thinking about when he referred to them as messengers. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, okay. Um so, messengers. The messengers who are sent with the ring. First of all, forgetting messengers for a second, isn't the latter part of that sentence interesting? Sent with the ring. Notice what he doesn't say. Um, you know, the people we're going to give the ring to, right? There's no question of possession here, right? The ring is going to Mordor. We're going to give it an escort squad, right? There will be some people who are going to be sent along with the ring. Um, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're, 
the rings it's like it's like they belong to the ring more than the ring belongs to them I'm not saying he says they really belong to the ring he wouldn't want to say that either but um, but you see what I, I love the way that he dodges um, uh, uh the, the way that he dodges uh, the whole uh, possessiveness question. Yes, Bricktails. Uh, the answer is yes. Um, did the didn't the medievals have carefully uh, divide divide the angels into categories? Yes, nine different categories. Does one of these more closely match the Valar? Yes, it does. But Tolkien knew that that wouldn't have been very helpful. <laughs> you know, for him to be like they're more like thrones or maybe demi- you know uh, 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 dominations, right? Uh, you know, kind of in that in, in that area uh, rather than. Uh, angels that would not have helped any of the people uh, writing him letters asking about this um uh but um anyway so okay so those who are sent with the ring um right jj i'm inclined um to think along similar lines that um messengers would be logically if they're messengers they must have a message and if they have a message that message must be intended for someone um and so who's the message for uh is the message for sauron is it for the rest of the uh free peoples fighting him um uh, i i don't know first of all jj i'm not a hundred percent sure that that line of reasoning holds I'm tempted. I go in the same direction. Like that's my first impulse too, um, but I'm not sure. But I'm I'm kind of resisting it. Um, I'm kind of resisting it because mostly because none of those things feel apt. I don't think it's a message for Sauron. They're not doing business with Sauron. They're not being sent to Sauron. He's not the goal. In fact, it's not hard to maintain that the goal is to avoid Sauron more or less completely, right? Um, so, um, but nor can I really think that they're messengers to the rest of the free people, as again, secrecy is going to be the first rule of the Fellowship of the Ring, right? Um, they're not sending a message to everybody. Um, it's only when it's too late to do any harm that Gandalf tells anybody, right? Um uh, it's only under very careful circumstances that Gandalf reveals anything about what the plan is to anybody, right? Um, and it's only uh, a few people that he does that with. Um, now, Nathan, that's a really interesting point. Um, I'm thinking more like a herald, like maybe Bilbo is thinking that the taking of the ring is like a besieging of Mordor in war. Um, the message is that they're starting war. Um, messenger like Harold. Um, maybe. Maybe. Um, no, they haven't discussed secrecy yet, Nathan. I mean, apart from their general discussion of what will Sauron suspect and all that kind of thing. Um Yeah, I think, Kurtzimus, the more I think about it, the more it seems to me to fit more in the line of, well, back to the original suggestion of, like, courier, basically. Like, delivery people, right? Um, 
they're also maybe he doesn't mean it in a literal or quite a figurative sense, but almost like a metaphorical sense. We are sending them out like messengers, right? Um, they are going from us. They're going out from us and they're going to a remote destination and there they will make a delivery. Right. Messengers do that. Messengers do that. Um, and the, in that sense, in a more metaphorical sense, the message is a message of hope. Right. It's a message of hope in the sense that if the package is delivered, hope will be born. Right. Well, I guess hope was already born a little while back and uh, he's sitting on you know the other side of the room right now. Uh, but um, hope will be do exactly the hope of deliverance. Um, and is there you know is there are we is there going to be deliverance from bondage? Right? Is this going to be um, you know? Well, yes, it is the lay of Lathian, isn't isn't it, Kurtzimus? As Sam is going to see, they're in the same tale still, and that tale has always been. The lay of Lathian, right? The lay of deliverance from bondage. Um, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I do think that... Um, uh, yes, good. Kimber's saying a British meaning of messenger is errand runner. Yes, that more... That element, I think, um, is what we're... Um, the direction that I'm thinking, they they have an errand, right? They're going to go deliver a package, and if they deliver the package, there will be, you know, then then there will be a message of hope, right, to the people. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Bilbo then takes him up, right? The messengers who are sent with the ring, exactly. And who are they to be? That seems to me what this council has to decide, and all that it has to decide. Elves may thrive on speech alone. Um, back to hobbitry, right? Um, and who are they to be? Uh, now, so Bilbo is like Aristor, but a slightly less patient Aristor, right? Aristor is willing to, will like diffuse the situation and lay things out clearly so that the conversation can go on to the next thing, right? Bilbo does the same thing, right? Um, almost exactly the same thing. Diffusing what could have been a touchy situation with himself, right? Um, and then pushing things forward, right? But he does so in his own in his own tone, right? Uh, in, his, in his own idiom, right? This, that seems to me what this council has to decide and all that it has to decide, right? Um, and in doing so, like Aristor was boiling things down before, right? We thus return to, you know, to, there are but two courses, right? Those are the ways that Aristor says it. Um, Bilbo is doing almost exactly the same thing, right? Look, Elrond has already said what has to happen. He's already said the ring has to be sent to the fire. Um, therefore, what's left to decide? There's only one thing left to decide. Who's going to take the ring? Who's going to be the ring bearer who's going to take it to Mount Doom? There's nothing else that needs to happen here, right? It's time for lunch. Um, 
Elves may thrive on speech alone, and dwarves endure great weariness, but I am only an old hobbit, and I miss my meal at noon. Um, concealing the urgency of this, right? Um, and notice how also he's also quietly giving an excuse for an adjournment, right? I'm not saying that it's very likely that Elrond is going to be like, oh, you're right, Bilbo, it's lunchtime. Let's uh, let's put this on ice and come back to this in two hours or something, right? Um, I don't, uh, I don't think so, right? Um, I think that, um, you know, can't we think of some names now? Uh, I love the the tone there. It reminds me of, um, I see elf lords here. Um, can't we think of some names now? Uh, I mean, how hard is that, right? Can't we come up with a list of names or put it off till after dinner? Um, there's a teasing and, and there, I think, by the way, he's teasing Elrond, right? Um, can't we think of some names now or put it off till after dinner, right? Are we going to, are you going to get on with this? Um, you know, are we going to, are, are, are you going to name somebody or, or, you know, um, uh, should we, should we postpone? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, his teasing of the elves and dwarves. And by the way, I agree. Somebody was talking about, um, yeah, Nathan, the wrong, it is almost a slant rhyme. Um, I, the first half of that sentence is formulaic and sounds almost like a poem, Right. Elves may thrive on speech alone, and dwarves endure great weariness, but I am only an old hobbit, and I miss my meals at noon. The first half of that sentence, doesn't it sound like the beginning of, of like a, a, a rhyme of lore or something? Or like it's parodying a rhyme of lore? Elves may thrive on speech alone, and dwarves endure great weariness. It almost scans, doesn't it? Um, he is speaking very poetically. And that makes, um, that makes the anticlimax more comical, right? Elves may thrive on speech alone and dwarves endure great weariness, but I'm only an old hobbit and I miss my meal at noon. Uh, very, very prosy at the end. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, and I love that. And I love that. Um, And notice again, it's uh, he's he's teasing Elrond, but he's you know he's uh, inviting laughter at himself once more, like he did before. And uh, Boromir was the only one who was about to take him up on it. Um, yeah, yeah. So he is both, I think, kind of challenging Elrond. Uh, Matt, as you said, he's calling the question right. Um, he's he's setting up. Elrond, but a little bit more, much more teasingly and a little more aggressively than Aristor did before. But I think he's also, um, I think he's also challenging everybody else in the room, right? Um, no more. This is plain as a pike staff, as Sam might say, right? We all know Elrond is right. Don't let's, you know, there's no, no reason to go on talking about other rings of power and blah, 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 whatever. It's clear. It's clear what has to happen. We're going to send the ring. We've just got to figure out who to send it. So let's, let's get to it. Let's stop delaying. Um, 
Can't we think of some names now? I love that. I love that. Um, What I love about it is that he makes it sound so silly, right? Like, so, uh, can't think of anybody, right? Can't think of any names. Nobody crosses your mind at all, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Anybody besides me going to volunteer, says Nancy. Yes, yes. Um, And right, and Matt is just pointing out there's an added weight to Bilbo's challenge because he just volunteered, yeah, can't we think of some names now? That also is a challenge to everybody else, right? So, I volunteered and meant it, but I concede, not a good idea for several reasons. So, what do you think, folks? Anybody else? I'll put it off till after dinner. Um, I... Yeah, Admiral Malcontent, you're right. He's kind of calling out all the wise, right? I mean, think about it, right? I mean, he just, like, Glorfindel is included in the crew of people. I mean, he's just took Glorfindel, been like, so, come on, what's it going to be, man? <laughs> right? And that's, uh, okay, okay. But Vlad the Inspirer, that's what I was just going to come back to. That's just what I was going to come back to. Um, what is Bilbo thinking about Frodo? Um, is Bilbo thinking about Frodo? We were suggesting before that we were that he was thinking of him in the previous you know, during his while he was volunteering. That part of his motivation is to attempt to deflect this task from Frodo, or at the least to make it explicit what this means. Right? We were talking about that in the context of him. Um, changing the ending of his book, right? Uh, Away from He Lived Happily Ever After. Um, And I don't know. I don't think Bilbo is simply desperate to prevent Frodo getting called on. I think that Bilbo also sees um yeah, Kit, I agree that Bil- Bilbo is a parent figure to Frodo. He's always thinking of Frodo. I agree. I agree. Um, I think that Bilbo knows that this is Frodo's task. Um, I think, you know, again, to quote Sam out of context, I think it's as plain as a pike staff to Bilbo. And that's one of the reasons why I think that his volunteering was not necessarily a desperate attempt to keep Frodo out of it. Um, again, I, I'm not saying I don't think that that's part, a small part of what was going on, but I don't think it was the majority part. Um, I think it's more to warn him. Um, uh, I think, yeah, exactly, Valori, that he knows this is Frodo's task and wants to give him a chance to volunteer himself rather than be drafted. Quite possibly. Or even, um, let's just make this, can we just make this explicit? Right? Can we just, can, can't we think of some names now? In other words, I bet you're thinking of a name, aren't you? Why don't we say that name out loud and, you know, cut the suspense here, right? Um, uh, stop the drama and then go have lunch. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Um, in our next session, we will get Frodo's decision, right? Um, what is the effect? What are the effect of Bilbo's words on Frodo? What is going on with Frodo? And I, of course, we're going to be returning to the important question. How, um, how much is the ring involved in Frodo's mindset, in Frodo's thought uh, as he moves forward here? I'm going to be very interested to see the, see what we can see about that when we look carefully at the choice passage. Um, and, of course, to begin to understand why Elrond doesn't just draft him. He could have done, right? Um, he could have had one of those moments. Uh, it's a, a moment I always find so striking in one of my other favorite books, Watership Down, um, when Hazel lays out what the plan to get the does out of Ephrafa is going to require, these like massive, almost impossible things, and then he turns to Blackberry and says, and you are going to devise that plan. And I always thought that that was one of the gutsiest leadership moments uh, that Hazel shows in the entire book. I'm always really interested by that moment. Um, and uh, Elrond could totally have done that, Right. Um, he could have been like, we must send the ring to the, fr the fire and then just turn to Frodo and say, and you, Frodo, are going to are going to bear it. Right. Um, and uh, so why don't they do that? What is going on in the minds of Gandalf and Elrond here? Um, and uh, how does that work? So we will look at these things next time. Uh, uh, hopefully, at least many of these things uh, next time, at least Frodo's choice uh, and his thought process uh, for next time. Um, so, um, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so, thanks everybody uh, for joining us. Uh, thus ends our book discussion. Another week and another slide down. Three slides left in the Council of Elrond. Uh, and uh, I appreciate, as always, uh, your joining me and your wonderful comments and insights uh, as we continue uh, to move forward at our perfectly appropriate and satisfactory pace. Um, uh, I know we joke about how slow we go, and I got a, a, a you should have heard them laughing at the Prancing Pony moot when I was telling the Prancing Pony guys that we're still on the Council of Elrond. Remember, it was like two years ago uh, when uh, uh, when Sean and Alan came and visited us and exploring the Lord of the Rings when we were yeah, in the Hall of Fire, right? Uh, and uh, and they're already at the Battle of Helm's Deep right now, and we're still in the Council of Elrond. They were laughing so hard. Um, Helm's Deep, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're up to Elves Deep already. Um, but um, but anyway, I, I, I just, I, I, every every single week, I learned so much about this path. I learned so much about, like, this whole, the complexity of this interaction between Gandalf and Bilbo had always escaped me before. Um, that was really, that was really exciting. So, all right. Um, thanks, everybody. Um, feel free to stay and join us for the field trip.
Wells of Langflood again. I think we've got uh, Wells Mile of Langflood again. Yes, we. Um, so, yeah, we. I uh, milestoned at Thokvist. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Go back to our Bjorning friend. Yep. Oh, and that's right. You had asked if uh, there was any meaning behind Thokvist, and I tried to run it through some translations, and nearest as I got, it is sort of pigeon Danish for show and tell. Okay. Um, that is a fascinating question. Or rather, that leads to a fascinating question of like uh, what this guy is about. Um, I mean, other than killing wargs, which he makes tolerably clear. Um, oh, and I might be totally wrong, by the way. Feel free to put in any corrections there because I do not speak Danish. Now. All right. Yeah, the eagle Very just nice. hanging out here on the ground is really unexpected. Yeah, the quick head turns. It always makes me jump when he's looking right at me. Right, right. <laughs> yes. But still not a furrier because all the furs here are warg furs, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's right. I got Sorry, I got to group everyone up. I was busy thinking. About yeah, other things. that's true. I, I wonder if he's going to make a cape, tippet, or muff out of those warg skins. Presumably not. Uh, I don't think they'd smell very nice, but he did make uh, he did make a shoulder guard out of. Well, yes, out of out of out of the uh, taxidermied skull of a warg, right? Can't say there's a lot of call for that. Yeah. Yeah. Still okay. filling everyone up. So. Let's see. I wanted to go back to the flood fells, didn't I? Um, I wanted to go back and see like where we were able to turn right when it will now left Mm -hmm. uh, going back that we didn't uh, and see if we can see anything interesting up further into the mountains here. Mm hmm. So is there, there was a turn here, right? Yes, there's a turn here. Yeah. Um, but I think there was, was there one across the river too? Or was there, was there nowhere we could go up across the river? Oh, hmm. not sure. Does anyone remember? And if I didn't add you to the raid yet, I will get you the next moment we stop here. Oh yeah, sorry. I, I apologize. I should let you finish raiding up. So does anybody recall, um, again, I, I remembered this road that went off to the, uh, to the right-hand side as we were coming down that we passed. I don't remember um, anything else, but yeah, let's, oh wait, sorry, I'm here riding off after I said I would wait. Um, Yeah, let's make sure to get everybody so folks can see folks on the map. All right. I think if I missed you, just DM me and I'll I'll make sure to add you. Okay. All right. Let's go, because I I feel like there's got to be something, just looking at the map, there's got to be something to the east of the path that we took to get down here. Mm. So I want to... Go for the bridge repair. Right. It's funny, every time we kept saying the phrase uh, passed on in the text, and every time 
Every time you said that the ring has passed on, my brain starts going, it has ceased to be. Is it expired? <laughs> God need its maker. Not yet. That's coming. Yeah. That's coming. Yeah. Okay. Can we, should we just go overland or is that, cause I don't remember there being a path until that no. one that we passed on the side of the bridge. So let's just go yeah. overland and explore. Cause we can definitely get up this way. Have a jolly explore. Exactly. And we'll see what, uh, oh, that's a bat. I can't see. Okay, fine. Yeah. Mostly animals, some wandering. A lot of goats. Yeah, a lot of goats, which are not attacking me, so I guess that's a good sign, level-wise. Oh, yeah, they're great at for... That's a nice change. Yeah. Uh-oh. Whoops. I just got stunned by a bat, yeah. Pretty much. Um... All right, there's an orc hunter. Oh, sorry. Whoa. Okay. Oh, what is this little valley down here leading down to that other dwarf bridge? Yeah. Ooh, is that Mirkwood over there, those trees? No, we're facing the wrong direction for that. No, I'm, th I'm, I'm facing back e towards the east again. Oh, oh sorry. Um... Uh... Yeah, maybe. Over there, like those trees up on the on that bluff over there. Oh. Yeah, that could be Berkwood. Okay. So we've got these highlands here. Let mm -hmm. me... Yeah, we might as well explore on foot. Oh, okay, there's the white horse. Oh, dear. Okay. Oh, yeah, I love how much harder it is to tell what it is from this close. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. So we do have evidence that the humans of old came here as they made the geological horse sculpture. Mm -hmm. Um. Oh, I can see. Those are the hind legs. Right. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and the tail. And the tail, yes. Right. The plank, I think. Um, so they obviously came here, you know, at some points. Mm -hmm. But I don't and see... And gathered any... chalk and then rubbed it into the grooves, yeah. I don't see any... I can't see anything at all. Okay. I don't see any ruins or anything. I see something between the trees over there, but is that... Uh, yeah, I think that's Limlock that we're seeing over there. Like we can oh. just... Yeah, yeah, there it is. It just resolved much more clearly. Yeah, I can, you see, can see the palisade. The palisade. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't see it before, but now I'm seeing that clearly. Yeah, no, there's no buildings of note. Right. We obscure the view. Just the white horse, and I don't see anything. Um, anything else down over on that side? And where am I on the map? No, yeah, but nothing's is... grown up either. The chalk is really clear. The grass is apparently That's kind true. of short. That's true. It does look like it's. Yeah, you're right. It looks almost like it's mown around it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It's well um, maintained. Yeah. 
Plus, you yeah. gotta re, you gotta redeposit that chalk every month. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, JJ says, is it significant that the white horse is on a green field? I'd almost have to think so, wouldn't you? Um, Makes you that, wonder if uh, the banner was designed before or after this horse was created. After, I would but think. The, you know, that it would so be... So the green field might have just been the grass it was on. Right, that it could be, that it could be, a, it could be a memory, you know, of this, of this place. Um, okay. Let's they took go. field of green literally then? Right. Right. Um, I guess we can right on a field of green. Yes, exactly. Some 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 fields of green are more literal than others. Yeah. Um, cheval so guess, rampant on a field right. vert. I guess we can cross over. Can we cross over? Huh. From a distance, I didn't know we could go among these trees. Oh, my. Didn't know there was anything to go among. Yeah. Okay, that waterfall that looks looks like misadventure and yeah, right I there. Think we're not getting up there. There's a goat over there, but he might have already been. <laughs> right. Oh no. Yeah, Did you guys can... swim across? Yeah, I think we can cross down here. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah, no problem. What could go wrong? Oh. Yeah, that looked a lot scarier than it was. Yeah, yeah. and Anduin has uh, made me more wary of bodies of water. <laughs> Just like leaping in and assuming you can swim across uh, rivers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, look, the water's still and there's uh, Mirkwood on the other side. I'm just going to swim. Oh, no. Exactly. Okay, the white mare. We're here. Yeah. Yeah, and this was, is just like the, the long man I, in England. And I was right. They they clearly have mown around the edges. Mm -hmm. Like we can see this thick grass here in the middle, but it's trimmed very short. Right along There's the There's some flowers the stuck up here in the white, but not much else. Right. Well, look, it's faded a little at the corners here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It'd be a job and a half to get the whole thing done in one go. Well, I mean, no, I'm sure it's... that I'm sure that the hill is not. I mean, that that the the. You know the hill is itself made of chalk. Um, it's not like that. You know that they have to. It's not like you know. It's not chalked like the foul lines at a baseball game are chalked. Um, but um, basing it off of what I know of the the chalk, uh, the hill drawings in England, those are not done on those are not done on chalk ground. They are done on uh, whatever grounds there, and then they actually fetch chalk from the shoreline to rub it. Interesting, interesting. Though there, because. Because I was going to say, even in places where there is chalky soil, um, such as, again, Watership Down itself, uh, where I have visited and found the soil chalky, just as described in the book. Um, but the chalky soil there is still like it's just like there are white bits of chalk in the dirt. It's still dirt. Like It's not like you dig down underneath and there's a solid, um, you know, layer of chalk like this. Also, you notice there's all the all the rocks and stuff around here would imply that it's not chalk. Right, right. Not it's certainly not chalk all the way down. Okay. This would have been worn away by the water. Yeah. Right, and there is 
Oh, cool. You can see it in your little compass froze. Yes. Yeah, Beautiful. I love that. I love that. Yeah, the and you can see it. Um, you can see it on the big map even. Like, you know, they, they show it on the big map that we're kind of blocking it right now. Um, but yeah, I hadn't really noticed that on the mini map, but that's really neat. Yeah, that's like the best picture of it, I guess, except from for when you're standing up in, in Limlock itself. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. So they did not seem to live any closer to here. So we saw ruins over there across the way. Um, mm -hmm. But this over here seems to be, they visit this, they maintain it, even to this day. That seems clear. And yet there's no evidence, I don't see any evidence of any dwellings. Does anybody know, um, does anybody know, um, Oh, so uh, Bricktails, the horse, the chalk horse, I believe, is meant to be viewed from Limlock. I think when we were standing up on the promontory up there, like up on the walls, we, you could see it really clearly. Yeah, but uh, it makes some sense that the people maintaining it are from. Right, right, exactly. Um, and so I would think that they also would be the ones. Oh dear, poor Greenstand uh, was just killed. There we go. All right, he's yeah. back. Um, sorry, just. Just watch him, watched him kill over there. Um, he got better. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear it. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's it's inter it, it almost gives this area, you know, and this, uh, you know, this sculpture, uh, an almost um, an almost uh, sacrosanct feel. Like it's like this is sacred ground that we're waltzing all over here. Um, yeah, almost like tending it as part of some sort of ritual devotion. Yes, yes, um, devotion at least, if not a if not a religious devotion, um, you know, a reverence for you know their ancestors and and you know the story of you know who they are and 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 where they came from. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very interesting, especially since the people of Limlock were by and large Bjornings. Right. So, I mean, I would think that the white mare would not really be their heritage as much. Or, I mean, I guess remotely distant. Particular horse. I mean, remember, Shadow Effects is descended from horse lords. Maybe this is like the first horse lord. Right. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, some sort of impact on their lives. Yeah. JJ does point out Bjorn did like horses. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, there's, um, uh, yeah, are the... Uh, uh, you know the, the 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 pony friends of Bjorn. You know a kind of memory of the, um, you know like evidence of the relationship with horses having gone in a different direction, right? In that different branch of the family, in a sense. Um, yeah, JJ. The reason I I think that the um, the grass is mown rather than eaten short. Is that um, that it's so so different right around the chalk, right? You can see the boundaries right around it, whereas the rest of it is still tar. So I agree. If there were this many goats in this field, the whole field would be short relatively soon. Um, but thirty. Um, uh, but still, I, I think that it it does seem to be deliberate a deliberate act of preservation of the the sculpture there. Yeah, as um, any of us with lawns realize that stuff grows back faster than you'd think. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, 
Interesting. Okay, so I don't think there's anything. I think we we wander everywhere that there is to wander in the floodfells here. But that I don't think we can get any further inland than this because this is uh, we're up against the edge of the mountains and the edges of Mirkwood where we're not supposed to cross in. Um, mm -hmm. So okay, so I think that that's that for this time. Next time we'll explore up in the Mist Hollow. Uh, because we'll, 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 we'll start again at, at Thokfeast and then we'll take that path, the path not traveled by, uh, you know, next time, um, the one up on the other side of the river. Oh, yep. So we'll go and we'll see what's up here, uh, in, uh, in the Mist Hollow and then Framsburg. Yeah. Finally, Framsburg. Um, <laughs> but, um, okay, cool. Nice. So that was really fun to be able to, and uh, uh, Holligo, thanks for pointing out. I didn't realize we actually could get here. Um, uh, the difficulty of getting over here, actually, I kind of liked, like how it looks from every angle, right? From whether you're looking at it from Limlock with that huge gully in between, or whether you're looking at it from that cliff over there, yeah, sorry, over there, uh, where we, um, you know, where we came in originally, um, it, it, this, this, this place where the white mare is looks almost perfectly inaccessible. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Makes you wonder how they get up here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so it was cool to, uh, to find, uh, to find the way over and actually, and actually see this place. Oh man, the badgers are, you guys are being attacked by a Lendry. Oh man. All kinds of Watership Down references tonight. Um, anyway, good. All right. Well, I think we'll leave it here. I'm tempted to like continue up and go, but I don't want to start the Mist Hollow at this point. Um, I think we're I think we're good. Having explored the Floodfells, Mist Hollow next week. Awesome. <laughs> um, cool. JJ wants to know if there's a shed with some mowing equipment nearby, or does whoever grooms it have to drag stuff with him every time? No, I think they, I think they haul it, right? You know, aside. Like one of those little sheep shears. huts with the wheels on them. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be convenient to wheel across the river, I'm sure. Yeah, up the rocks and back. Uh huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Cool. So yeah. So missed Hallow next week. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. And Silk Westkit, congratulations for catching up, by the way. Yeah, worth a journey yeah. of 187 sessions to catch up to, he says. Very good. Thank you. Been honored by your presence tonight. Uh, that has been, uh, uh, it's been, it's been fun having you. It's always good when people catch up and join us live. I always look forward to that. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us again this week. Uh, next week, uh, the Marsh. I was I almost said the Marshmallow. Not quite. The Marsh Hallow, the yes. Mist Hallows next time. Uh, and, um, uh, and we will see what new things we can discover. So thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye now. Bye.